Amen. Thank you, Paul. Let me just say uh, very quickly, and I'm sure that most of you are probably aware of this, uh, but just a quick reminder as we move into the message, uh, Evelyn Williams, her son, Billy, uh, 57 years old, and I know many of you know Evelyn, uh, he passed away, had a, a heart attack, and he has passed away. Evelyn obviously needs your prayers, uh, and we have this congregation in the last three to four weeks uh, um, has several of our families, Don and Patsy. It's good to see Don here this morning, and Patsy is on the recovery from uh, the coronavirus, the Plotz family. Um, let's see, Amy, uh, Jeff, and Julius have all contracted the uh, virus. They're all on the healing side of it. Jackson uh, has not, but uh, they're struggling with that, obviously, the Kalen Brinks. Um, David and uh, Grace and, and Zane have all contracted it. Uh, it was very difficult. Uh, Rick Dubeck uh, has just this last week uh, contracted it. So uh, we, we have, you know, several of our own members that are really struggling with this. Uh, thank God each of them um, is getting through it and really pretty healthily. Uh, but there's always uh, that it's just the world we live in. And we need to be mindful of it. Um, the McWhorters, uh, Dave and Kayleen, of course, I think you may remember she fell and broke her hip, had to have surgery. She finally made it home. And so just continue. Uh, she is in rehab. Continue to keep those folks in your prayers. Um, I want to just go to Isaiah chapter 9, one verse here. It's the verse that we've been uh, studying the last couple of weeks in our Advent uh, time of year uh, where we celebrate the appearance of Christ. In uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, that verse 6 again, Isaiah saying to the people of Israel, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This morning I want to, when we think about this Advent season, I want you to consider that statement, uh, that name, the title that's been given uh, our Savior, and that is Mighty God. Mighty God. I don't know how much you believe in spiritual warfare. Paul would write the Ephesians that our struggle is not, and it's not a struggle of flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. It's taking place in the heavenly places. It's manifest in our own life. Peter would write that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, but I believe, and I think that if you're a Christian, you are like-minded that we are, as long as we're living here, uh, we're engaged in a spiritual battle. And so when you think about mighty God in the advent, uh, this son that would be born, mighty God, and you put that in relationship to spiritual warfare, from day one, from the garden, Satan in his attempt to dissuade men, to not dissuade them, in the dissuading is not to believe God, not to be obedient to God, but to rebel against God from the very beginning, one of the things that Satan has done is he has diminished God. He's, he's brought God down. He's elevated us, humanity, and he has diminished God. And so when you think of spiritual warfare, and if you believe that, and you believe it, and you can see it in your own daily living, one of the things that you have to, and we need to understand, that one of the very stated goals of Satan is to diminish God and to elevate man. 
And I'll tell you what, if you don't think there's evidence of that in the world that we live in today, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. We live in a world where we see man glorified and God diminished, lowered, not even spoken of in many places. Uh, We've seen now, I believe, even a violent attitude towards God, a violent attitude, culturally, politically, uh, it's rampant within our government, certainly uh, in the media, Hollywood. We have an attitude, a prevailing attitude that calls us to not only think of God, speak of God, but to even violently reject God. It's prevalent. It's in our public schools. It's in our uh, universities. It's in every area of our, of our living daily life, a rejection of God, a diminishing of God, and even a violent Uh, abusive uh, attitude and language towards God and his people. And so this term, mighty God, because the opposite of that then, if you're a Christian, is you and I have been called to see God, know God, and understand God as mighty God. Jesus Christ, the Son, mighty God. Now, I want to challenge you this morning. It's one thing to think of uh, a world that we live in where God is diminished, rejected, uh, repudiated, but what about the church? You say, well, surely that wouldn't happen in the church, would it? I just would challenge you to think, how, how much do you esteem God? And I mean esteem him. I mean, when you go through your daily living and the moments and the circumstances and the life that you live as you are employed or going to school or married or just living, how esteemed is God in your life? And the measuring point for that is that word mighty. Because we esteem strength. We do. We truly esteem strength. We place a great value and adoration. Our hearts are turn towards strength. We, we like strong. We like power. We like it. We like it athletically. We like it uh, financially. We like it. Uh, we like strength. We're, we admire strength. We esteem strength. We, ex- we esteem that that is mighty. And most of what we esteem as strength and might has to do with humanity. Most of it. So that's why I had Paul read that passage. If you read that ninth chapter, and you ought to reread it. I'm not going to do it this morning, but you ought to reread it. Because there's a man, Job, whatever you may know about Job. Job is considered the oldest written book in the Bible. It's the most ancient book in the Bible. Uh, Predates uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's this ancient language. And if you're familiar with the story, Job loses everything. He was certainly a man who understood strength. He was a man who owned much. He was a man who um, was, I am quite sure, a great livestock man, a good husband, a good father, probably strong financially in his investments. He was a man that would have been considered strong, esteemed, and he loses everything. Sometimes I don't think we know the true might of God until We lose something. He lost it all. Except his life. He lost his possessions, his wealth, his children, and 
and his health. It's a depressing story, and the faith that comes from that, the story that comes, the story of faith is an amazing story. But part of that story of faith is this. When you read that, of all the places that you could go in the Bible, of all the places, you could go anywhere in the Bible. You could go into Psalms, you could read Revelation, you could read the Gospels. You could find evidence of the writers of Scripture putting on display the might, the, the, the might of God. But when I think about someone who's writing from their heart about who God is, I mean, who am I? I'm just a man. I can't. He's mighty. Whatever he says, it goes. Even if I think I'm right, I'm wrong. I'm guilty. He just, and it's all in the shadow of him understanding mighty God. If I had a desire, many of them, but I think one of the desires for me personally and for the body of Christ is that we fully understood God in his proper place. And that is mighty, mighty God. We're so easily amused and drawn to and enamored by what we think is might. And yet there's only one who is mighty. So I'm going to just go to John chapter 20. Because when I think about what Job said, at the end of that ninth chapter, in light of everything that had happened to him and all that he had lost, and his understanding of the might and power and the strength of God, he would say in this ending chapter of Job, he said, who am I? I'm just a man. I, I, who am I? I need someone, and this is literally what it says in the Hebrew, I need someone who can touch God and touch me. I need somebody who, whose hands can touch God and touch me. I can't take God to court. I need a mediator. The word that he used is Tommy's umpire. But he said, it's a Hebrew word, long before there were umpires, but it translates umpire. I need someone who can mediate, umpire, who can be like God and be like me. There's nobody like that. That's what I need in light of my weakness and the strength of God and his sovereignty and his omnipresence and his uh, omnipotence, but I don't have that. But that's what I need. My dilemma in the midst, in, in the presence of the mighty God that is, is that I don't have an offense. I don't have an answer. I have nothing but guilt. But I need someone who can touch God and touch me. Then I wouldn't be afraid in my bones. I could speak. So when you get to the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, this will be quick, y'all. Something wonderful happens. Um, If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know it's the great Gospel that begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We go on to say that the Word became flesh. And, And then, if you know the Gospel of John, what is it known for? Well, Preeminently, it's known for the great passage, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. But it's also known for the I am statements. It's it's singular to the, the gospel of John. You can go all the way back to the book of Exodus, and when Moses wanted to know God and know his name, God would say, I am. That's the name of God, I am. Not I was, not I'm going to be, but I am. And so in the Gospel of John, the Word becoming flesh, the Word being Jesus Christ, all these statements are made about him. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the light. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All the great I am statements. The salvation statement, the I am statements. It's what John is known for. It's known for his miracles. All the wonderful miracles, all the gospels are. And then John is just illustrated. In fact, the scripture says that he was, he was a man accompanied by great signs, wonders, and miracles. It's known for his teaching. It's said of him that he is one who, who speaks. Even his enemies said that he's one who speaks with authority. But there's a moment. And it happens in John 20. And I want you to leave here today with this in your heart and an understanding of it. Um, And then put that in light of what the world esteems as mighty and what you and I have been called to esteem as mighty. And Christ, the child, the Son of God, being called mighty God in the Advent. In spite of everything that the 12, and I include Judas in that, in spite of everything his closest followers had seen, they'd seen the miracles, the wonders, and the signs, in spite of everything that they'd heard, someone who's taught with authority like nobody had ever taught before, in spite of the biblical truth, When John makes his statements, he backs it up with prophetic biblical truth in the Old Testament. So in spite of everything that the Old Testament said about him, in spite of everything that Jesus said about himself, in spite of all the miracles and signs and wonders, um, there's something else those uh, men saw. They saw him die. They saw him crucified on the cross. I have no idea what that must have looked like. I, I don't know. But I will tell you this. I don't think it looked like something men would esteem. In fact, Isaiah said he was not a man who was esteemed in the 53rd chapter. In fact, he was a man who was despised by many. I don't know. I've never seen someone die so horribly. But I do believe that if I was alive 2,000 years ago, I would, the last thing that I would have thought was mighty God. And I do know and I believe that had I been one of the 12, and though I may have seen him steal the water, heal the lepers, walk on water, drive the demons, I couldn't get, I don't know, I, wouldn't get, I couldn't get past the cross. I, I couldn't. I can't speak for you. But I, I probably would, a lot of things would have gone through my heart and my head. I might have gone, I might have said, was he really, was I deceived? Did I, maybe I didn't see all these things. Um, I think I would have had a great sadness in my heart. I know I would have been scared. I would have been fearful. Because the death, and that kind of death, did not inspire mighty God. It inspired, I don't know, it certainly inspired fear. And so when you get to the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John in verse 19, that's what we see. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, Sunday, 
today, a day like today. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were, this is the same place where they'd had the Lord's Supper with him. Um, the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of the might, the strength and the power of the Jews. They'd seen what it could do. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sons of any, uh, if you forgive the sons of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas. But Thomas. One of the twelve called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. I've often wondered just personally where he must have been. Where, where was he? The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I won't believe it. I won't believe it. Job 9 again. For God is not a man as I am that I may answer him, that I may take him to court. There's no umpire, mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. And Didymus said, unless I see the hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger in the place of the nails, I will not believe. And after eight days, eight days later, his disciples again were inside, and Thomas with them, Jesus came, and the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands, my hands. And reach here your hand and put it in my side and be not unbelieving but believing. And here it is. This is why John wrote his gospel for this statement. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. For a child shall be born unto us, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. What is the ultimate, if you said the thing that I would fear most, the ultimate power that man wields, not building rockets or computers or technology, the might of man has been on display since the creation, and that is in our ability to kill. The ultimate expression of man's power is the ability to have a mindset, a heart, a reign, an attitude that says, I will kill you. 
I can kill you. Despot governments have existed since the beginning of time. And their greatest show of force and power was an authority that says, you'll obey or you'll die. We will kill you. We might put you in prison. We may cut your tongue out. We may blind you, but ultimately our power lies in the power. Our might is that we'll kill you. We will take your life. Did you ever stop and ask yourself, why did Jesus keep his wounds? He's resurrected. Why did he keep his wounds? He's in the resurrected, he's resurrected. He kept his wounds. Isaiah would write in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, he said, by his wounds we are healed. You heard Thomas say it. Unless I see the wounds, I won't believe. His resurrected self won't be enough. Mighty man can do one thing. Mighty man can do one thing. Mighty man can kill one another and even put it on display like they did 2,000 years ago on Golgotha. But only mighty God can come back and say, this is the best you got? This is the best you got? This is the, this is the evidence of your strength? It's no strength at all. Paul would write to Corinthians, he said, death, where is your sting? Where is it? Jesus Christ, mighty God, in spite of everything that the scripture said about him, and in spite of everything that the people had seen him do, in spite of everything that he said about himself, he still died on the cross. But when he came back, he came back with his wounds. There's the hand that could touch God and the hand that could touch man. If you've never thought about this at all, if you're a Christian today, you're only a Christian because the hand that had the wound that was designed to kill him could touch God and it could touch you. And it was the answer to Job's dilemma. I'm just a man. I can't take him to court. I need somebody who can touch him and touch me. I need somebody who is fully God and fully man. And the best and the greatest power of man to kill has no power. But the the, the life that is in the Savior who chose to keep his wounds are the only hands that can touch God and touch me and mediate and say, this one is mine. I'm going to save this one. This one Satan has no power and dominion over. This one is mine. He kept his wounds. And because he kept his wounds, he's mighty God. And because he kept his wounds, Thomas, after all those times and days and minutes and moments and miraculous things that he had seen, he would not believe. And when he saw the wounds, he said, my Lord and my God. And Satan and all of his minions fled and cowered and hid in ways that they had never fled and hid before. They lived in some satanic, demonic sense of spiritual power that they think that they held. And when the Lord Jesus Christ, mighty God, returned, 
wearing the wounds of the very worst that men could do. And men would then recognize him. He can touch God. He can touch me. He's the hands that mediate. Then the minions, I guarantee you, they've been cowering for 2,000 years. And that's why, although our spiritual battle, our struggle is not a See, it's not a battle of flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And although Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, the Scripture says, "You listen, you resist him and he'll flee. But if you have a diminished God, you'll never resist Satan. If you have a worldly God, if you have a Mickey Mouse God, if you have a, a Sunday God, But you don't have a mighty God. You'll live in fear of Satan. You'll believe a convoluted, made-up Hollywood movie about the power of Satan. You'll fear darkness. You'll live with false premonitions. But if you believe in a mighty God that kept his word, You'll resist him. He will flee. I'm finishing here. I hope that as we get through this pandemic, and if you don't believe, you didn't see men living in fear. Ask yourself why. It could only be because our understanding of God is diminished. We don't see him as mighty God. Paul would write in prison, he said, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living, I'll serve him. If I die, how much better to be with him. The man that kept his wounds, the God that put the display on display the hatred and the power of men and yet yielding no power over our mighty God, the Son that was born to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for keeping your wounds. Thank you for reminding us that the only power that genuinely and truly exists is the power of your son and the sacrifice that he made and the victory over the the darkness of death. I hope that we always are learning how to magnify you more. I hope that we always are learning how in our heart, in our spirit, in our mind to bring you glory, more glory, Father, to, to just praise you and honor you and And understand that you indeed are mighty and there is no other one like you. And under no other name shall anyone be saved except the name of Jesus. And we call upon his mighty name to save us, to help us, to grow us, to strengthen us. And it is in the name of the mighty God, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.